the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and in this episode, I'm interviewing Lindsay Yutz. Now, Lindsay was a part of the Karen Schmier Fellowship. Check out the Karen Schmier Fellowship, who's got the specific goal to help emerging film editors. So if you're young, you're just getting into editing, you've got a bit of work under your belt, check it out. Their web address is www.karenschmier.com, and the deadlines are September 28th. Okay, so if you're really interested in editing and you're in the U.S., check out their website at www.karenschmier.com. In this episode, I interview Lindsay, and we talk about her work with Bully, but in particular, we focus on her beginnings. So please enjoy this interview with Lindsay. Can you tell me a bit about how you got into film editing, and also specifically about the Karen Schmier Foundation, how you got involved? I didn't set out to become an editor, but it, it was always the the aspect of the filmmaking process that I liked the most. So I guess I've been doing production for about a decade now. And I worked as a producer to begin with. Like a little, I did a lot of like nonprofit videos, web videos. I worked for um, Good Magazine um, and kind of built up their video department very early on. And we did a lot of like documentary, short documentary series and animations and and so it was the kind of operation where everybody wore a lot of hats, and so therefore I was producing and I was editing. And, you know, I did a lot of short form format work over the years, and I eventually reached a point where I felt like I wanted more freedom in terms of the timeline and the, the length of the timeline and the ability to, you know, let a story kind of unfold and organically and, you know, to develop characters and create mood. And, you know, when you're working on the, the web, it's like everything's cut for audio, you know, you're very, you're cutting everything really tight because people are like, you know, you've They're got non, non-captive non audiences yeah. that are doing a thousand other things. So it's like there's this certain way to construct videos for the web. And I, I think I got, I got kind of tired of that after a while and wanted a new challenge. And so, you know, I'd been producing and editing. I decided that I just really wanted to focus solely on editing because it was really like where my heart was at and always had been. And I actually was just producing out of necessity it felt like after a while, you know, like I would have rather just been in the edit room and, you know, I got sick of like all the phone calls and the emails and, you know, I wanted my hands on the projects. And and so I, I took this giant leap into feature film editing by um, offering to cut a, a trailer for Bully very early on when the film was still being shot and Lee, the director, didn't even know, you know, none of us knew what shape the final film would take. And so, so I came on board, I, I, off, I volunteered to cut a trailer for Bully because I realized that having no feature film credits, that, you know, that thus far, like it would be very hard for me to get a gig feature film editing without having to be an assistant and work my way up. But since I had been editing for years, 
I didn't feel, I kind of, you know, I just wanted to throw myself into it. And so I cut this trailer for them. They really liked my work and then they decided to hire me for the, for the full film. So yeah, so that became my first feature film. And that's sort of the long explanation how so, I got into editing. Well, I guess I have, I have two questions. But the first one would be cutting for a magazine or doing this, you mentioned that, you know, there's a particular way of cutting. I was wondering if you could elaborate on how you would approach cutting something for the web or what some of the differences would be? Well, it depends on the, the type of web project. For like a short documentary, you know, we transcribed everything and then your transcriptions are not like, you don't have binders and binders full of transcriptions like you do on a feature film. You know, you have a couple transcripts and like you kind of create a skeleton for how you sort of want the video to unfold. But the, the, I think the best way to describe it is that with the web, I was always cutting for audio, meaning I would find my sound bites that were kind of the meat of the story, and then I would build everything kind of around that. And in terms of like, you know, finding the right music, creating the right stings, so that like after a sound bite, you know, there's yeah. like the perfect sting that like takes you into the new segment or whatever. But you, I mean, when you're thinking of the acts in terms of like a web video, it's like, you know, one minute per act or whatever, you know, which is a totally different way of thinking. When you're approaching a feature, it's like 30 plus, you know, per act. So really it's like, you know, with the feature film editing, it's a much, I, felt, I feel like it's more of a discovery process, you know, you can't rush it, it takes a lot of time to figure out who your characters are, especially with a documentary like Bully. I mean, we had 12 characters when we started, and you don't really know. And you have to go through that evolution and trying things and seeing that they don't work and then trying something new. And there's this sort of long process that unfolds with a feature, whereas with the web videos, I mean, you can, there's kind of they become formulaic after a while. You know, there's a there's a certain pattern and uh, in terms of how you balance sound bites, music, nat sound, and and sort of cut it tight enough so that it it really moves for three minutes. You know, and and none of those rules apply with that with a feature because there's no template. You know, there's really no formula for how a film should be cut. I mean, there's some basic rules, you know, mm -hmm. that, are, that are good to kind of keep in mind, but, you know, it seems, it, it's like you're creating, creating it from scratch every time, you know. It's you almost, it almost sounds like if you're doing one for the web, it's information. So it's yeah. like, here's three minutes of information. Exactly. Whereas for a feature, it would be storytelling. Totally. I mean, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, but not to say that there aren't shorts on the web that are, you know, great. But thinking in the terms of like a magazine, it's like, in here's magazine, what's happened, here's what's going on, here's right. the next thing, check out more here. Exactly, exactly. It was more, yeah, it's more um, exposition, whereas a film or a film that like in the nature of like bully is more feeling, character, yeah, less information. Can you tell me about Karen Schmier Foundation and how you got involved with that? Sorry guys, that's actually the Karen Schmier Fellowship and you can check it out at www.karenschmier.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, so I found out about it, well I remember when Karen was killed um, a couple, few years ago now. I remember hearing the news of it and I didn't know her but I knew people that knew her and the film community is so small that like that kind of thing really yeah. reverberates, you know, and is felt by people. So 
you know, I was like really sort of upset, even though I didn't know her when it happened, because you know, being female, being young, being in the you know, in the business, you just you feel like you have things in common, or you would have things in common with this person. And so, I knew of her, and then I think um, a like a year or so later, the I heard about the the fellowship that they had created. And in fact, I was going to apply for it the first year, but we weren't finished with Bully, and you had to have like a finished film. So I didn't. I didn't, wasn't qualified to apply for it, but yeah, I went for it the second year, and um, glad I did. To jump to Boldy because you've cut the, the the feature, I guess can you give me some insight into how this was shot and the type of footage you received? Because when I'm, when I watched it, it's very cinema verite in many ways, but kids should have realized the camera was there. <laughs> There's moments where you're sitting there watching it and they're doing things and you're wondering why they would even contemplate doing this with evidence essentially being documented. So I'm wondering what the footage was like coming in during the rushes and dailies. Yeah, well, to answer the first part of your question, so it was shot over a year and a little bit more, like there were some pickup scenes and some things that were shot actually the following year. But yeah, a lot of the footage, and the, and the truth is a lot of the footage is verite, but there were a lot of talking head expert interviews mm -hmm. that we actually didn't end up including. And for me, the reason why, I mean, I didn't want to use them is because I felt like the verite footage was so powerful mm -hmm. that it would dilute that intimacy to bring in like an expert voice or to mm -hmm. bring in somebody, you know, who wasn't, experiencing the bully and bullying in some way, whether it w was a child who was experiencing it during the day or like a parent whose child was experiencing it. So that experiential sort of quality became the basis for the decision making on, I mean, at least for me. And I, you know, I think that there was a consensus in the edit room eventually that that was the direction we were going to go in, which is to focus on that verite stuff. So that said, the scenes with Alex in the, um, like on the bus, the stuff that I think you're re referring yeah. to where the kids, you know, are like punching him and screaming and stuff. That footage was really interesting because it came in and there were many, many audio channels there. And Lee, when he was shooting it, he was shooting with the Canon 5D, which looks like a still camera. And so I think people forget that it's shooting video. You know, yeah. you think that like someone's just snapping photos of you and you forget yeah. that like you're mic. Well, in, in, in the case with Alex, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. don't know if these kids even realized that Alex was mic'd or if they did, they didn't understand. And, and, it, and maybe to a certain extent, like having the camera on them made them want to show off more. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think the, the kind of chubbier kid that's in a lot of those scenes, I mean, he would look at the camera a lot. He knew that Lee, you know, had his lens pointed at him, but I don't think A, that he registered that it was video and B, that he registered that there was a mic. And then, you know, the truth is Lee, when he was shooting it, it was so chaotic on the bus mm -hmm. that he couldn't really hear what was being said to Alex a lot of the time. And so it wasn't until we got into the edit room when we separated the channels and we like really listened closely to what was happening that we discovered, you know, sort of the the kind of cruel, violent things that were <laughs> being said. And there's a scene, you know, where Alex walks to the corner, he's about to get on the bus and this kid tells him he's gonna like, you know, punch him in the Adam's apple because that'll kill yeah, him. Yeah, it's close to the start, yeah. Yeah, and it's a really intense line. And I don't even, Lee was like standing on the corner shooting that. I don't think he had headphones on, so 
Alex was mic'd, but he didn't—he couldn't hear what was happening in the corner. So it wasn't until we sat in the edit room and really listened that we discovered, you know, those those things. So you said there was there was 12 kids, and it was shot over a year. So there must have been an immense amount of footage that came through. Can you give me a sense of your working relationship with the other editors and how you, as a group, tackled this large amount of footage? Well, there, were, there was about 300 hours of footage total, and the stories were, you know, they ranged from portraits of children to parents and, like, other suicide victims. Like, there were a couple other suicides that weren't, that didn't actually make it into the final cut. And the way it worked is, well, to begin with, we just had uh, assistant editors that were working day and night, so we had day shifts and night shifts. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of, we had a, we had a good sense of which characters we thought, we, like we knew Alex was going to yeah. be a big character, so that was kind of a no-brainer. And then there were other peripheral stories that we weren't so sure about that had to be cut anyway because we, we weren't sure if they were going to make it in. Like there was another suicide story that was completely cut and it, none of it made it into the, to the final film. So like I was saying before, I mean, it's a discovery process. You know, we had to kind of early on weed out the characters we knew were weaker you know, and that they maybe weren't worth exploring. And then there were some that were worth ex really worth exploring, but that didn't, didn't make it into the final cut. So to handle that much footage, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you kind of like, I, I used the assistants to, to help in a lot of cases cut things down. I would have a list at the end of the night, you know, so the night editor could go through and help me take six hours scene down to three hours, you know, or six hours scene down to two hours, just by cutting out like the junk, you know, just removing the junk so that when I came in in the morning, it was a lot easier to kind of see what we had. And But the truth is, I mean, we cut a lot of stuff really long and rough to get a better sh sense of what was there, because you can't really start seeing it until you start chiseling away at it, you know? And so, like, our first rough cut was something like six hours long. That was like a pretty long screening to sit through. So that was part one of my interview with Lindsay. Now, I'm going to wrap up here. Usually I have Lauren here. Usually we do a forward film review, but I realized it had been a couple of weeks since I put out an episode. So I just wanted to get this out. Uh, Lauren's working late these weeks as they're prepping for Christmas already at the company she works at. Yes, it's August and they're already talking Christmas. Well, actually, they've already wrapped up Christmas. They're talking about Valentine's Day 2013. So send your wishes to Lauren uh, for Valentine's Day 2013, well ahead of their time. In the meantime, if you have any questions, you can always email me, info at aotg.com. You can always contact me via Twitter at artguillotine. And, of course, you can always get us on Facebook, facebook.com slash I'd like to thank the Karen Schmier Fellowship. I'd like to thank Lindsay Yutz. I'd like to thank the American Cinema Editors. And, of course, my producer, Lauren Woodcock, who is working on a future Valentine's Day right now. I'm Gordon Markell. Thanks for listening.